Welcome to you wherever you are at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for these few moments this weekend. Before we jump into our series, I do want to mention to you again the YouVersion Bible app. If you have not discovered that, it's a great resource, has many different translations of the Bible, all kinds of topics you can search for that will take you uh, to what God's Word has to say about that. And this weekend, if you'll search under events, Arlington FM, you'll find a complete set of notes for this message. Well, uh, we are in a series, we're calling it Dawn Treaders, and it's taken from this uh, verse in Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 12 says, the night is nearly over. The day is almost here, and so let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And uh, one of the themes that will uh, ring very true throughout this amazing letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christ followers in Rome is that the invitation uh, to live into a new day, that a new kingdom uh, has uh, come uh, into the world through the coming of Christ, and we can begin uh, to live in that kingdom now. It's a new day, it's a new kingdom, and it's a new realm that is calling. And, you know, one of the contrasts that uh, speaks so loudly throughout the Bible is this contrast between darkness and light, between night and day. And a night would symbolize a life that is filled with the lack of clarity, uh, the lack of insight into what works in life. In fact, one of the Proverbs says, the way of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It grows brighter and brighter until the fullness of the coming day. But uh, the way of those who are distant from God and his wisdom is not like that. It's like deep darkness. And uh, the writer of the Proverbs says, so when people are in that place, we don't even know what makes us stumble. Uh, it's just things trip us up. And uh, it's a life that is filled with conflict and chaos. Uh, as I said, uh, night uh, symbolizes so many things. One of them is broken humanity. It's uh, people trying to make their way without uh, the truth of God and the wisdom of God. Uh, I mentioned uh, last week in our in-person gathering this incredible statistic that I'd heard uh, last week about unruly air passengers. And it used to be in a typical year, there'd be about 160 incidents where someone on board a flight acted out and had to be restrained in some way. Well, uh, in 2021, there were over 3,000 of these incidents reported. And it's just, uh, it's a glimpse into uh, the brokenness of people trying to do life without God. Uh, and you know, it gets very personal. I think we all uh, can point to times in our lives when we've gone through dark periods. In fact, some people call it the dark night of the soul. And uh, one of the, uh, the hallmarks of going through seasons like this is a feeling that we've lost touch with God, that we've lost that, that spiritual uh, compass that keeps us moving in a positive direction. Uh, you know, one of, the, uh, one of the books of the Bible that speaks uh, a lot about light and darkness, night and day, is the Gospel of John. In fact, in that Gospel, uh, John sees Jesus as the light of the world who has come into a darkened place. And uh, one very poignant scene uh, is when Jesus is celebrating the Last Supper with his disciples. 
He's about to go to the cross, and he's literally living out before them uh, that he will be slain. He will be like the lamb, the Passover lamb that is slain for the sins of the world. And uh, in that context, he washes the feet of the disciples, which would speak of what he's about to do on the cross for them. And we're told in that moment, uh, his betrayer, Judas, uh, who would uh, go and uh, turn him into the authorities. Uh, very poignantly, John writes, uh, when Jesus said, what you're going to do, do quickly. And then John says, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. And uh, there's so much more being said there than what time of day it was or what time of evening. Uh, but here's Judas uh, sharing the bread and the wine that depicted Christ dying for him, uh, Christ washing his feet. And in that setting, we're told he went out to carry out his agenda, and it was night. And it uh, symbolizes so much about uh, even religious activity that's done uh, distant from God and his insight and his truth. And so again, night is humanity caved in upon itself. But the, the message that rings out of uh, Paul's letter to the Romans and really out of Paul's life is that light has come. Uh, we don't have to live that way uh, anymore. We don't have to allow our own uh, thinking to be distant from the God who is, the God who is truth and the God who is light. And Paul's invitation is the night's nearly over. Uh, that way of doing life without God is, is passing away and his kingdom is encroaching. It's making inroads in people's lives who are open to it. And so uh, this invitation to become dawn treaders is to become people who set our sights, uh, not on the darkness uh, that can swirl around us, but on the, uh, the rising of God's new day, the new dawn. We can move from death to life. We can move from doubt to certainty. We can move from brokenness to wholeness. We can move from having no future to having great hope. We can move from being stuck to being transformed. We can move from a, a world of hatred and conflict and strife to one that's filled with love and mercy and compassion. We can move literally from being enemies of God to being God's dearly loved children. And uh, if ever the saying was appropriate, the difference is like night and day. It, it really is. And that's what Paul is inviting us into uh, in this uh, incredible letter that we're uh, really going to begin working through in earnest this weekend. Uh, you know, here's a phrase that comes to mind. Uh, what matters most to God can now matter most to people. Uh, this is another way of, of really expressing the new covenant that God said he would do such a thing in the hearts of people that his ways would now be written uh, on the inside of them. It wouldn't be this uh, outward conformity, but there would be this inward yearning to do the will of God. What matters most to God can now matter most to people. Uh, this weekend, I had the privilege of uh, officiating a graveside gathering with a wonderful family from our region. And uh, this man that we were commemorating uh, was 96 years old, and uh, he was a dairy farmer. And he and his wife had uh, run several farms in the area. He had received numerous awards and recognitions and been on various uh, state commissions. 
but as I heard uh, his children uh, speak on his behalf, and his grandchildren, and his great-grandchildren, uh, the things that emerged with uh, incredible clarity and uh, uh, being repeated over and over again were his humility, his love for, for people and especially for family, his integrity, uh, and finally his hard work ethic. And uh, as I left that time with that dear family, what was impressed upon my own thoughts was the sense that what mattered most in life mattered to him. Uh, see, he found a way uh, to take the things that, that can be so complicated and he brought them into focus. And I, I think that's a, a, a truth that comes out of Paul's letter to the Romans is uh, he takes the things of, of religion and spirituality that we can make so complex uh, that we literally don't know whether we're coming or going. And he brings them into clarity and into focus. See, uh, the Apostle Paul, uh, he was one who knew about that move from night to day, from darkness to light, from complexity to focus and clarity. In fact, for most of his life, uh, Paul's religious devotion was very complicated as he writes in his letter to the Philippians, he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. Uh, he had advanced uh, in his rigor of devotion. Uh, you know, the Pharisees were known uh, for strict application of the commandments of God and the regulations of God. And they were known to have at least 630 different codes of uh, compliance and behavior that Paul apparently followed all of them rigorously. And uh, when, uh, as we're told in the book of Acts, when the followers of Jesus realized that he was alive from the grave, that he had come back from the dead, uh, and they began to share this good news with others, uh, when it began to make inroads into the Jewish synagogues and uh, followers of, of Yahweh, as he had expressed and uh, revealed himself in the Old Testament, began to claim Jesus as their Messiah, well, Paul became furious. In fact, we're told he, he, he began to zealously pursue followers of Christ and uh, arrested them, tortured them, murdered them. He was zealous uh, beyond all of his contemporaries. Well, it was that Paul living that form of religious devotion that one day things changed for him literally uh, from night to day. Uh, we're told of his conversion in Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 6, uh, as Paul was on yet another one of his missions of hatred, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And uh, Saul asks a really good question at this point. Uh, Who are you, Lord? And he gets this response, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Uh, see, for Paul, uh, suddenly his religious zeal, his religious ardor and devotion uh, went from being very complex to very simple. Uh, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. You might say uh, Paul went from 632 rules and regulations 
to just one. Jesus, what are you asking me to do today? And how am I responding to the leadership of the risen Lord? Jesus became the compelling motivation of Paul's life. And uh, here is how he describes in just one uh, text uh, this transition where he went uh, from living in the darkness and expressing it as religious devotion to becoming a dawn treader, uh, someone who pursued this kingdom of light. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, for God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, he's uh, hearkening back to the very beginning of creation, the same way that God spoke creatively into the chaos and the darkness and let light shine. He made his light shine in our hearts and he gave us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed clearly on display in the face of Jesus Christ. And see, that was Paul's focus. That's what Paul came to understand mattered most to God, is that not all the things that he once did with such zeal to try to honor and please God, but now uh, this recognition that God has revealed himself in the face of Jesus, and that Jesus became his Lord, and the passion of Paul's life became, uh, Lord Jesus, what should I do today? Where should I go? What matters most to you is what matters most to me. And now, uh, as we go uh, to the beginning of Paul's letter to the Romans, really, that's the cry of his heart. It's the call of this letter is uh, to these friends of his in Rome who he had never met, but he had heard much about uh, his, his call was back to the things that mattered most as, as uh, followers of Jesus Christ. Now, like most of us, uh, the Christians in Rome had a backstory and uh, just a, a few details. Uh, Paul had never been to Rome, uh, so he wasn't obviously the one who had in, uh, invited them to become followers of Jesus. Most likely, uh, where the church sprung up in Rome uh, most likely was from uh, Jewish, uh, Jewish uh, sojourners, uh, Jewish religiously devoted Jews who had traveled to Jerusalem for the Passover. And at, at that Passover, after Christ had risen from the dead, uh, there would have been many Jews who heard that initial proclamation of Peter's where he explained this gift of the Holy Spirit that had been poured out on them and uh, we're told that that day over 3,000 people became believers in Jesus as the Jewish Messiah. And uh, no doubt some of those believers traveled back to Rome. And uh, the message of uh, Christ as Lord began to spread uh, throughout this great uh, ancient city of Rome. Well, uh, somewhere between 50 and 70 AD, uh, the Jews in Rome began to become the target of angst for the emperor. And uh, so at numerous points, the Jews were forced to leave the city. And uh, as the, the church of Jesus continued to grow, uh, it no doubt became filled with Gentile believers. And so now you have this displacement. Uh, the Jewish Messianic Jews who had returned from Jerusalem, uh, sharing their faith, uh, being asked to leave the city, the influx of Gentile followers of Christ 
Uh, and then uh, things changed. The Jews were allowed back. And uh, as they began to uh, re-engage with the synagogues, suddenly you have a clash. You have the, uh, the Jewish foundation of the church. You have the Gentile add-ons. And you have all the makings uh, for division, uh, complications, uh, turmoil within the body of Christ. Uh, any of that sound familiar? Uh, all of this, uh, throw in the political angst of their times, and uh, you have a group of uh, Christians that have very different viewpoints on what matters most to God. And there were divisions. Uh, some were valuing what you could eat and what you couldn't. What days needed to be observed and which didn't? What practices were acceptable and which ones weren't? And uh, all of that was shattering uh, the unity and the power of Christ at work in their midst. And so Paul uh, writes uh, to bring them back to what matters most to God. And it has to do with the lordship of Jesus Christ. And here, Paul's heart, in the opening words of this wonderful letter in verse 1, he writes, uh, Paul I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm called to be an apostle or one who is sent. I've been set apart, chosen for the gospel of God, for the good news, the, the gospel that God promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son. And with that statement, uh, Paul brings uh, all of the uh, prophetic announcements in the Old Testament scriptures about the coming of the Messiah and in that one sentence, uh, he would uh, gain the attention of the Messianic Jews who were a part of this church in Rome. He goes on uh, to describe Christ Jesus, who, who as to his earthly life, he was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness, he was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Paul uh, takes uh, the Jewish lineage of Christ. And now he adds to it. He says, uh, when God raised him from the dead, he became appointed Lord of all. And uh, so there's this combination of the God of the Jewish people and the God of the entire nations of the earth. Uh, he goes on in verse 5, through him, through Jesus, all of us have received grace and apostleship to call all of the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. See, for Paul, uh, the essence of real faith is obedience to Christ, and uh, you simply couldn't divorce the two. Uh, real faith is evidenced by a responsiveness to the lordship of Jesus. You could take it back to Paul's initial uh, call from Christ. Uh, Go to the city, and I'll tell you, you'll be shown what to do next. And, and Paul says, that's really the call for everyone is into that recognition of Jesus Christ as Lord and a response of obedience to him. Uh, you know, Paul will begin to unpack uh, that this is the essence of how God comes to people. Uh, God has chosen uh, to come into the lives of people through his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul will say a few chapters later, Romans 8, uh, he who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for all of us. Will he not also, along with his son, graciously give us all things? And so the idea is all things that come from God come through his son, 
Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, here's a question. If, if God really exists and uh, he cares about uh, this planet and the people that inhabit it, do you think God knows what people need the most? Ponder that one for a second. If, if there really is a God of all creation and uh, he cares about this planet full of its billions of people, does God know what those people need to be healthy, to be whole, to be happy, to experience the good things in life? Well, uh, I want to kind of point to the answer to that. Uh, a little bit later in chapter 1, uh, Paul writes these words about God. He says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. That's a, that's a global statement. That's a profound statement. Uh, Paul is saying that everything that can be known about God, at least his eternal power and his divine nature, can be clearly seen through creation. Uh, in other words, if we'll wake up and smell the coffee, if we'll just look around us, uh, we will see uh, two things that are witnessed every day and every night, every morning, in every aspect of God's created order. Uh, we'll see two things, that God is eternally powerful and that he has a divine nature. Uh, you know, it's, it's been said, uh, if God is all-powerful, we better hope he's all-good. Because if, uh, if he's all-powerful and he's not all-good, that's a scary proposition and uh, what Paul is saying uh, bringing us back to what matters most in life is uh, let's begin at the beginning uh, the beginning of all creation if we'll just uh, open up to the message that's being broadcast through everything God has made we'll know number one that he's eternally powerful and number two that he has uh, a good nature uh, Paul goes on in verse 21 uh, he's saying uh, this is really where the problems of humanity begin. Uh, although they knew God, although there was that testimony of creation about his nature and his power, they neither glorified him as God, uh, they didn't respond to his goodness and his divine nature, nor did they give thanks to him. Uh, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts became dark. Uh, we're going to really explore uh, this drift away from the revelation of God next week and uh, the outcomes of that. But uh, for now, uh, Paul is saying, look, if, if God is really there and he really exists and he's really all-powerful and he really has a good nature, certainly God knows what people need. Uh, you know, I was uh, moved by uh, witnessing uh, William Shatner's uh, journey into space this last week. There's a lot of fascination right now with the cosmos, and I think rightly so. And uh, what really touched me about Captain Kirk's uh, brief 11-minute journey into space was when he came back. Uh, this picture kind of captures uh, how emotional he was as he was uh, trying to communicate to Jeff Bezos what it meant for him uh, to, to be outside uh, the orbit, to be uh, outside the gravitational pull of planet Earth and to be on that edge between space and the world that we live in. And uh, he made this one statement. He said, I hope that I never lose 
this feeling of awe. And, and here's my point. Uh, when we begin to truly let what God has created impact us, it, it can move us to awe and humility. You know, I think when we, when we drift away from God as he is, uh, God in his eternal power and divine nature, we tend to make little gods for ourselves. In fact, Paul will get into the details of that, uh, as we'll see next week. Uh, but our life experience uh, tends to shrink around our understanding of God when we lose fascination for who God is and what he's capable of. Uh, we begin to, as we said earlier, we cave in upon ourselves. We become foolish in our darkened minds. We become children of the night uh, rather than this dawn that Paul is inviting us into. We turn inward and we spiral downward. And uh, Paul's got good news. And the good news is this. The God that we have drifted away from has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. That is the essence of the gospel. The, the creator God, the eternally powerful God, the God who is entirely good in his nature, whom we've drifted from and caved in upon ourselves and brought night and darkness into our world, that God uh, has sought us out. Uh, the light has pierced into the darkness, and that is the essence of the good news. Uh, Paul will say it like this in one of his other letters, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in the person of Jesus Christ. This is the good news. This is the story uh, of the news that has the ability to change the world. In fact, listen to these words as Paul now brings into focus their complicated religion and response to God. He says in Romans 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the good news as we've just declared it. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God. You know, that word salvation uh, is, has much more to do than uh, having our sins forgiven, though it certainly includes that. Uh, salvation means restoration. It means wholeness. It means healing. It means freedom. It means destiny. It's all the things that God has hopes and dreams and plans uh, for his creation that he loves. And uh, Paul is saying here, he's not ashamed of the story of the Jewish Messiah, of the man Jesus Christ who was put to death and raised by the spirit of holiness and appointed uh, the Son of God in power, uh, Jesus as Lord, and all of God's uh, saving uh, generosity is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. You could say it like this, uh, God has come to us in Jesus, and nothing matters more than our response to him. Uh, if you hear anything uh, through this message, would you hear those words? Uh, God has come to us. God has come to you in the person of Jesus Christ. And nothing matters more uh, if we want to experience eternal God's power and live into God's eternal, wonderful, generous, divine nature. Nothing matters more than our response 
to Jesus Christ. Uh, This is the message of the gospel. Uh, The New Testament uh, writers and leaders would make this proclamation. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will experience salvation. Uh, See, God took the complex and he made it very focused. He focused all of his saving love and uh, ability in the person of Jesus Christ and then gave him to us. And so Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of that story. I'm not ashamed of that message. And uh, I would just ask you a question. Um, Can you think of something uh, in your life that you've ever been ashamed of? You know, uh, shame is seen as one of the most debilitating uh, emotions and perceptions that we can carry. Uh, Shame uh, distances us from everything that is good. Uh, Shame is a relationship killer. Uh, Shame, uh, as you look at Adam and Eve, uh, when they first distanced themselves from God, they were engulfed with this sense of shame. Uh, They put up the barriers between them and God. They ran and hid. They began blaming one another. And it's really symbolically depicted as the destroyer of intimacy and relationships. And, uh, you know, Paul says, look, in our response to God's saving effort in the person of Jesus Christ, I'm not ashamed of that message. And uh, we had a we had a dog once that I think uh, she lived in shame. And uh, when we adopted her, uh, it became apparent that uh, somebody had scared the daylights out of her. Uh, but she hated it when she got in trouble for anything. And uh, occasionally, you know, we'd leave her home a bit too long and uh, on her own and get home. And it became obvious that she'd had an accident. And uh, my daughter was... Uh, would say, Scully, what did you do? And uh, she would begin her shame reaction. Uh, she would begin hiding. If you found her out, she would be shaking. Uh, she hated that feeling of shame. And uh, here's what I know to be true. When, when I'm ashamed of something, typically I avoid it. I won't talk about it. Uh, minimize it. Put it on the back burner. Pretend it's not there. And uh, Paul is saying, unfortunately, Uh, we can have that response uh, to the gospel, to the good news that God has come to us entirely in the person of Jesus Christ, and he wants to bless us in our response to his lordship. Uh, We can be ashamed of that message, and you may say, well, I'm not ashamed of that message. Well, here's the truth. If we don't talk about him, we probably are. If we don't bring him up, if we don't offer the hope and the destiny and the healing and the power and the ability and all the resource of God that has come to us in that relationship with the one who's been raised from the dead, if we never find ourselves sharing that good news, we probably become ashamed of it. Uh, You know, uh, I want to leave us with this uh, encouragement from Jesus himself. Uh, He said it very simply. Freely you've received, you know the rest of it, freely give. That is such a profoundly significant statement from the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Freely you've received. And you could think of all the things that come under that. Forgiveness, hope, restoration, 
empowerment, encouragement, destiny, purpose, meaning, uh, all the things that, that God so freely pours into our life through Jesus Christ. None of that was earned. None of it we deserved. It all came because we called upon the name of Jesus Christ and experienced salvation. Uh, Jesus said, freely you've received that. Now freely give. And uh, you know, uh, think about the people who need all of the things that come wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. And I think uh, most, most people, uh, myself included, uh, we tend to... Uh, we tend to uh, minimize our needs. We tend to uh, avoid uh, how desperately we need the hope and the encouragement that only God can bring. And uh, if we don't share it, who will? If we don't share this, this hope, the, the power really to heal the world, who will? Uh, in fact, Paul will ask this question in chapter 10 of his letter to the Romans. Here's what he says. Uh, how then can people call on the one they've not believed in? And so something needs to change for people who sit in darkness with no light penetrating their world. And so then he asks another question, and how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And so uh, they have to come to a point of believing that God did invest himself in the person of Jesus. And then uh, they... they Someone needs to proclaim it to them. And so his third question is, how can they hear without someone sharing, declaring, saying very simply and yet succinctly, God wants to bless you through your response to Jesus Christ. How can people come to that understanding unless someone is speaking it to them? And as it is written, Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And uh, my hope and prayer for all of us this weekend is that we would aspire uh, to have beautiful feet, uh, to be those wherever God has uh, positioned us, wherever he sends us, go into the city and I'll show you what you must do. Uh, wherever that takes us, that we would be people who are not ashamed that the gospel is the power of God for saving people and all of the ramifications of that. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we want to thank you for who you are. Thank you for the revelation of yourself through creation. Uh, we can look out, God, and see your eternal power on display if we'll just have eyes to see. And we would just ask you, Lord, we know that when you came, you healed eyes that were blind and allowed them to see the things that were right in front of them. Would you do the same for us? Uh, God, allow us to see today your eternal power, your divine nature, and then to be moved uh, by this realization that though we had uh, walked away from you, you came after us. Jesus, you're the good shepherd who uh, searches for the one lost sheep. And uh, maybe as you're hearing this message, you're thinking, that's me. You know, I, I've never heard that good news, and I've never come to believe, but I, I find myself reaching for that now. In fact, Paul will say uh, in another part of his letter to the Romans, uh, if we uh, confess 
with our tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And uh, you're believing that right now. You're, I, I want to invite you. Say it. Uh, say, Lord Jesus, I believe you are Lord. Uh, I've heard enough. I believe that you came to reveal the unseen God. And uh, I believe that God raised you from the dead. And thank you uh, for your promise that as I respond to what matters most to you, uh, you bring the power of salvation into my life. And I'm open to that, Lord. Uh, teach me how to follow you, how to hear your voice. And I pray that simple prayer in Christ's name. Uh, amen. And for the rest of us, Lord, uh, we just pray that you would... Uh, decomplicate our relationship with you in these uh, difficult times, in these times, Lord, when there's a, there's a lot of conflict, there's a lot of division. Lord, would you bring us back to the simplicity of our devotion uh, to Jesus Christ and allow us to be those people who uh, set aside all the deeds of darkness and begin to move towards that light of who you are, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.